Tabunga listeners, welcome to Absorbing Yellow SpongeBob Deep Dive, the podcast where me and my friends talk about the making of an adoration for SpongeBob SquarePants. My name is Sam Roberts. I am the host today, and I'm the guest today. Wow, everybody's excited, and it doesn't feel like a lesser episode. So, yeah, here's the thing. Truthfully, um, this is going to be a great episode today. It, it might be shorter. That'd be fine. Um, <laughs> they could all probably stand to be a little bit shorter anyway. Um, but we're, we're discussing the episode, uh, Ugg, a.k.a. SpongeBob BC, a.k.a. Uh, uh, SpongeBob Ghost Prehistoric. There's like five different names of this episode for some reason. Um, and as I was looking at this episode coming up around the turnpike, um, as they say in Ohio, um, I was like, this episode's probably going to be a, a pretty difficult to, to discuss with a guest. Um, I'm sure that I could. I'm sure that, you know, if I brought in an, an expert uh, like Sarah or someone, um, that it, we could and it, it would be great. And it And it's not that there's nothing to say about this episode because I have lots to say but uh, I was just like this might be better suited for a solo episode and I haven't done one in a really long time uh, people who have been listening from the very beginning or if you just start at the beginning and um, start from the bottom and now you're here uh, might recall that I think I said at the start of the, uh, of the whole podcast endeavor like we're gonna do some solo episodes where I wing it some where I write it out in advance and maybe some with guests and then it kind of over time evolved into um, being almost exclusively uh, guest episodes because those are just just more fun but but I thought you know I've grown a little distant from from the kids as I like to call you all not because I think I like look down on you or anything but just because it's funny to me um and full transparency, this episode, or this podcast, the listenership is not mostly kids. The vast majority of them are people uh, ages 20 to 30, uh, such as yours truly. Um, but it, do- it doesn't matter. I've been growing distant from the kids, and, and we need some quality time. So, so you got me, your old man Sam, today to discuss this episode. But it's going to be a freaking good time because a few of our listeners, you know they love the segments. That's why... I had to be compelled to even do any segments on the show because I was like, why does who wants segments? What we just talk about the episode and then get out and go, you know? But as you know, we've added many, we've got many recurring segments. Today, we have 11 segments for you. Wow, oh my gosh, that's even better than Sam hosting. Oh my gosh. And it's going to be freaking awesome. So, all right. That was the end of segment one, which is just the welcome or the start of the... Does anybody use the timestamps? Write in to spongespanrobots.com if you use the timestamps. Just like... No, we're not doing the listener mail yet. Okay. Um, <laughs> segment two, uh, I like to call fun anecdote. And then I put in parentheses video games so that I remember um, what the anecdote is. Um, just in the interest of, you know, quality time with one another, getting to know each other. Um, well, first, I'm sorry. This is very rude of me. I'll let you share first. Um, what is your um, small joy or or fun anecdote from this past week? You, you share first, listener. That's a really good anecdote. Here's mine. So I'm going on a trip in the coming weeks. Um, and, you know, the uh, metropolitan area where I live has a pretty freaking sweet public library system. Um, there's like over a dozen, maybe even dozens, plural, of libraries all connected together. Um, not even just like within one city, but just in the whole area. And basically it makes it so that the catalog is huge and you can put a, a request or a hold on an item and it will get, you know, delivered um, to your library of choice. 
But that's not even the coolest thing. You know, sometimes I like to dabble in the reading arts. I like to read a book here or there. Um, not really. I'm just a very slow reader. I like reading. But, but, but this is what maybe is the coolest thing about our freaking library is that it has video games. Um, but the last time, you know, when I first moved here uh, and I was just like, I guess I'm going to play video games over the summer. Um because I'd like hadn't met very many people and whatnot or whatever. And so I put a hold on um, a video game and it took like a month to get because I was like number 60 in line or something, you know, understandable. You know, there's probably a lot of 10 year olds across the city um, that want to play Mario Rabbids uh, Kingdom Battle or whatever it's called. Very good game, by the way. Um, but so I, I, I knew that I had this trip coming up. So I'm like, I need a new game, at least one to play on the trip to just make like the, the travel go faster. Um, and so I just went through and I put a hold on any and every switch game that looked interesting to me. You know, there were ones that I did want such as like the legend of Zelda links awakening, but I was like, I'm going to be so far back in line. I'm not getting that one, but you know, I'll, I'll put a hold on it just to see. And then I went through and, and did probably 12 or 13 um, games. Well, eight of them showed up all at once, <laughs> like within the matter of like a couple days. So I'm like, well, frick, I gotta go pick these up now. So I show up to the library a little embarrassed, not too embarrassed. Uh, and you know, for most items, they just put them on the shelf and you can grab them, uh, and then check them out and then go. But for video games, understandably, they don't just set them out. They, they put out a case that, that says like, take this case to the front desk, uh, the circulation desk, and we'll get you your, uh, you know, friggin'. Uh, children's games or whatever not really they, they're not rude or anything but but I, I so I like went up there um, <laughs> and already feeling a little bit silly and they hand me this huge freaking stack of eight switch games and the kindest woman is like so we actually <laughs> and I know in the back of my mind I have more on the way right because um, they're all just showing up super quickly she says we actually have a policy that you can only check out five video games at a time and I was like oh okay I'm so sorry she's like that's okay um do you want to pick out your five? And then she hands me the video games. And I feel like a freaking nine-year-old at GameStop spending my allowance. Because I'm like, oh, I get to pick? <laughs> it's like, you know, Mario, Kirby, Yoshi, Zelda, which is awesome. I, I got the good ones that I wanted, you know. But so I'm like standing there and she's like, I'll, I'll let you take your time and like walks away. And I'm standing at the counter like picking out my games. And then, you know, I got the, the main ones. For those of you curious, um, I, I picked out Yoshi's Crafted World, Kirby, the Star Allies, or whatever it's called, uh, Link's Awakening, um, I think like Mario Tennis, and then the last few were all like indie titles and a couple that I like didn't want to play that bad, and so um, I uh, did I get Mario Tennis? I don't know. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, but so I'm looking at Dead Cells and Hollow Knight. I'm like, I've heard that both of these are really good. These would be great you know, um, like airplane games to play or whatever. Um, and then this is the most embarrassing part. And, and to be clear, I didn't maybe have any need to be embarrassed. I don't think anybody was judging me or anything, but I, I couldn't decide between Dead Cells and Hollow Knight. So I flipped over the back of both and was looking at the pictures on the back. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm taking up time judging my decision on how cool the pictures on the back of the case are. I really have been like transported back <laughs> to like nine-year-old Sam looking at the backs of cases of like, oh, oh, which Pokemon game looks the coolest or whatever. So then I went to Walmart and played uh, demos for an hour with my neck 
turn back at a 90 degree angle. Just kidding. I got I got the games. I picked out my five. And then I went home and as quickly as well, I went to work. But then as quickly as possible, I hit cancel on all of my other holds. Um, so anyway, eventful day. That's my fun little <laughs> anecdote for you. Um, okay, next segment. I'm so, so That was a fun little segment, but I've made a grave mistake. I need to apologize to all of you. It's not okay. I made a terrible mistake. In fact, let's play the Soiled It sound clip. I soiled the good Krusty Krab name! Soiled it! Soiled it! Correction from last week. As uh, my most faithful listeners know, if you listen to the end of every episode, I include a funny random audio clip from the episode. One that didn't work for... Um, discussing the episode, but was funny enough that it, it still gets a shout out like Nickelodeon used to do. You know, they'd play like a random audio clip that's like one second, two seconds long at the end of the credits, you know. Um, and I knew that I had one picked out last week, but I could not remember what it was. So I just like grabbed a random one and I was like, huh, I don't know. It, it might, maybe it was just when Patrick says like 24 the first time because I didn't include that, you know, whatever. So I put that at the end and then. I was listening back to the podcast episode and I remembered what is maybe the funniest joke of the entire episode. And I was so pissed at myself that I forgot to include it in the episode. And ordinarily, I would just be like, whatever, not a big deal. And just move on, you know, week to week. But it was so funny. I had to put this clip here because I I fear that it's a joke that other people maybe have missed watching that episode. So uh, clip from the episode, New Student Starfish, here. Why are they laughing? I guess it's just in the timing. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's funny. I won't explain, it's it's the timing, it's funny. Okay, let's do some listener mail. This letter comes in from me. I wrote into SpongeBobRobots.com just like you can. Me from the past says, "Congrats, dog! You did it. You did the podcast for a year, assuming it it's still going, and it is." Yeah, younger, more naive me. Um, I'm actually probably a week or two late on this, but on July 6, 2020, the inaugural episode of Absorbing Yellow, where we discussed, of course, help wanted. Uh, uh, leaf blowers anti the tree premiered um and it was freaking awesome back then it's even freaking awesome now just wanted to say thank you to all of you past sams for writing in and more than that you listeners for listening over the past year what a journey where were you one year ago where were you on july 6 2020 probably inside Okay, now it's time for our awesome, newer, younger uh, 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 segment titled With Love. For those of you that have been uh, that have skipped for a few weeks, you know, because you're like, oh, I'm just so freaking sick of not being able to hear more of Sam's voice. And maybe you're back this week because you're like, yes, he's hosting by himself. Yes. And you, maybe you don't know what this segment is. We're looking at uh, how the show is made with love. What makes it so great? You know, um, we asked this question a lot season one, especially when we did have guests on. Sorry for those of you that hate the guests. Um, we would ask what, what is it that makes SpongeBob so great? Cause it is a question that's like, what? like I know that the show is amazing, but how do I articulate 
why that is. I also want to say here, no joke, please write into spongespamrobots.com as we round out the final season of the podcast of um, the original run of, of SpongeBob. I want to hear from you, listener. Why do you think it is that SpongeBob SquarePants is so great? Right into spongespamrobots.com. Um, here is a, a, a little quote from Derek Dryman. We listened to him last week. He's going to talk to us about the storyboarding process today. This quote comes from an oral history of SpongeBob SquarePants. Derek Dryman says, quote, Comedy-wise, the weight of the show fell on the storyboard artist's shoulders. Most of them were young and hadn't really done too much yet. They had to pump out the jokes for two weeks, then go right into cleanup. It's a labor-intensive job, and not for everyone. Paul Tibbet was unique because he wouldn't clean up his own thumbnails. Instead, he'd work on a story for two weeks. Then we'd have him do a different story for the next two weeks, then give him a week off. He storyboarded half the episodes by himself for the first season or two. Along with Paul, there was Aaron Springer, who was incredibly funny. These two guys really set the tone of the series that first season. No doubt, above all else, the crew really made SpongeBob what it was. I love that quote. I hope that um, with these quotes, I'm I'm kind of giving you the balance of like how amazing this idea that hatched out of Steven Hillenburg's mind uh, is, was, but also how collaborative of a project um, this whole show was and how it really um, is probably the, the crux of the humor the jokes come from uh, those um, artists, storyboard artists working on um, the show in those first few seasons. So a couple thoughts um, on this quote. First, on those two uh, names in the quote, Paul Tibbet and Aaron Springer. I think it's awesome um, because they, they are like just incredible artists. Paul Tibbet uh, wrote this episode that we're going to be discussing today and wrote a lot of the specials because he was such a consistently funny and charming SpongeBob writer. Um, and two, it's just fun because I, I can almost guarantee, right? Like here, I'll pause. Just think for a second what your favorite episode is. Think on it. Okay, now say out loud, your favorite episode of SpongeBob SquarePants is blank, or it's the one that blank happens, right? I can almost guarantee you that your favorite episode was written by one of them. Maybe not. And that's not to say that the other writers were bad by any means. Truthfully, um, you know, there's so many other incredible writers, Jay Lender, you know, Sam Henderson, Kaz, etc. But these two, you know, your favorite episode, Shanghai, you know, uh, 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 band geeks, the Christmas episode, whatever, probably written by either Paul Tibbet or Aaron Springer or their um, writing partners, of course. So, so that's my thoughts on on the people. Now, second, the storyboard driven aspect of the show. Again, we talked about this a lot, season one, and, and it's popped up a few times, but I, we can't overemphasize how significant this is to the charm of the show and how the jokes get communicated. Okay, so um, in the clip that I played last week from that uh, DVD featurette on the um, uh, making of SpongeBob SquarePants where we heard Steven Hillenburg um, and um, um, Rocco's Modern Life creator, Joe Murray, uh, they talked a little bit about um, how... Rocco was storyboard driven and how Steve loved that, how a lot of the old cartoons that he grew up on um, were made that way. Right. So, yeah, I just to to illustrate how significant this is, how how like different that was at the time. Right. That that it was storyboard driven. Let me just uh, list for you a few uh, shows from like that were either contemporaries of SpongeBob came out right before it, just right after it whatever. I'll, I'll list some that were script driven. That is 
they just wrote a teleplay like you would any other TV show and then boarded from there. And then I'll list all of the board-driven shows, storyboard-driven shows that I could find um, from that time period. First, script-driven shows. Script-driven shows uh, from around the time of SpongeBob SquarePants premiere and, you know, first three seasons. We've got Doug, Hey Arnold, Angry Beavers, Fairly Odd Parents, Rugrats, The Wild Thornberries, Cat Dog, Avatar The Last Airbender, Invader Zim, Chalk Zone, Animaniacs, Dexter's Lab, Johnny Bravo, Teen Titans, Powerpuff Girls, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, Curse the Cowardly Dog, Sheep in the City, Billy and Mandy, Codename Kids Next Door, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, Hi Hi Puffy Yami Yumi, Ben 10, My Gym Partner's a Monkey, Squirrel Boy, and Recess, just to name a few. Here are the storyboard-driven shows that I could find of notes from around that time. Ren and Stimpy, Rocco's Modern Life, My Life as a Teenage Robot. I'm sure a lot of you remember My Life as a Teenage Robot, but most of you probably are more familiar with Rocco's Modern Life and Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy was definitely the show that kind of brought back that style. Um, And now today, tons of shows. I don't know if it's most, maybe it's half, a little bit less than half, I'm not sure. But a ton of shows, I think because of SpongeBob and its success and how fun it is, honestly, to write, um, do that now. You know, Adventure Time, uh, uh, Steven Universe, a bunch of others, right? And I just think the the reason that this makes it so incredible is that um, it's storyboard driven, it's drawing driven. And so there's something I think that gets just activated in your imagination where it's almost like a sequence of doodles. Now they're on models. So like it's still a lived in world, which is also very interesting. Like uh, listeners might recall from season one that Steven Hillenberg talked about how his show was unique in that though they're ridiculous cartoon designs, he wanted SpongeBob to feel like a 3D world, not just like a 2D plane that they exist on. So they're on model, but it allows them to draw such dynamic poses for the jokes. Also, it, it allows you to uh, just draw um, super expressive characters because the, the show is ultimately character driven, right? The characters always act the same. You just drop them in and see what they do. It's art driven. It's joke driven. Super, super unique. Here's, here's another quote um, from Tom Kenny. <clears throat> uh, he says, I do a bunch of different series and some of them are very script driven. SpongeBob is so visually oriented if i don't have a storyboard to accompany my dialogue scripts there's no point i'm lost the pictures are everything and the action is everything when you see spongebob's words out of context it doesn't help so i always read the storyboards the day before the recording if you look at a dialogue script for the episode spongebob bc it looks like someone took a bunch of scrabble tiles and threw them into the script but If you're looking at storyboards and you're seeing three panels to a page with the dialogue written underneath, 250 pages usually, it works. Since we're allowed to ad-lib with SpongeBob, I feel like the more we know going in, the better equipped we are to tweak jokes. Reading the storyboards is one of the pleasures of the job. They still make me laugh. If something is really funny, I'll show it to my kids and they'll laugh. And a year later, when it's on the air, they'll say, oh, I remember when you showed us this. That quote also comes from Oral History of SpongeBob SquarePants. So delightful. So, you know, like I said, obviously the voice actors are doing so much work, but it's the drawings that are kind of emoting for them. Like, oh, this is what we're doing. And as I'm sure that you can tell, I snuck in just a little bit of trivia clock for the episode SpongeBob BC. So with that, let's get into the episode. Now, before we do that, we are, of course, going back in time, not to prehistoric ages, but to the year 2004 and... Let me just tell you, while I was looking, you know, I I like to always uh, play like a um, 
you know, clip from an actual commercial for the episode that we're playing. So I will search, you know, whatever date uh, the episode came out. um, Let's select this episode came out March 5th, right? So I'll search March 5th, 2004 uh, Nickelodeon commercials, and I will just scrub looking for SpongeBob clips until I can find like tonight on Nickelodeon, SpongeBob uh, kills Patrick or whatever the, you know, uh, plot of the episode is. This episode was much easier uh, because it was like a late night special or whatever. Um, but boy, I found the craziest, most 2004 thing you have ever seen. So we're going to hop into the Wayback Machine. Okay. We're, we're going back in time to transport your mind back to the year 2004. I want you to listen to this Nickelodeon special uh, clip. Nickelodeon Nick Grooves. What's up? Wade Robson here for the full Nick Groove combination. <laughs> That's right. Put your dancing shoes on, learn a bunch of Nick Grooves, and now it's time to put them all together into one big Nick Groove jumbo combo. You heard me. One big Nick Groove jumbo combo. Let's do it. Hit it, Shaniqua. All right. We're going to start off with the SpongeBob shuffle. Let's go. Now pick it up a little bit, funk into it, have fun with it. Now, we're gonna go into the rocket power stomp. Here we go. Uh, add those snaps. Yeah, now, the rug wrap wiggle. Let's go. Shake, bounce to the back, shake your butt. Now, Jimmy Neutron's butt boogie. Oh, let's go. Okay, now, the Cosmo and Wanda hand jive. Come on, have fun, get everybody doing it. Uh, clap, clap, shake, 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 clap, clap. Yeah, nice job. You guys are getting kind of good. All right, check it out. Keep watching Nick Grooves. Keep dancing, because the more you move, the better you groove. See even more Nick Grooves right here on Nickelodeon. For more Nick Grooves, go to the Let's Just Play page at Nick.com and keep watching Nickelodeon. I will eat a can of horseradish if that is not the most 2000 freaking four thing that you have ever heard. And with that, let's jump into our, I don't know, is this the seventh segment? I don't know. Trivia clock for... The man, Wade Robson. Trivia clock for the, I almost said episode. The man, Wade Robson. Uh, Wade Jeremy William Robson is a... (laughs) Wade Jeremy William Robson is an Australian dancer and choreographer. He began performing as a dancer at age five and has directed music videos and the world tours for pop artists such as NSYNC and Britney Spears. Robson dated Michael Jackson's niece, Brandy, the daughter of Jackie Jackson, for seven years. Brandy states in the Neverland fir- firsthand, in the, in the Neverland first, Brandy states in the Neverland firsthand, investigating the Michael Jackson documentary, goodness gracious, a documentary made in response to leaving Neverland, oh my, that she and Robson met as children during a photo shoot with Michael Jackson. Why was that in the, Robson asked Jackson to set the two up. The, uh, ew. The two were friends for 10 years prior to the beginning of their relationship. Brandy also said that Robson cheated on her with Britney Spears during Spears' 1999 to 2001 tour, ending the pair's relationship, as well as the relationship between Spears and former boyfriend Justin Timberlake, which implies that Timberlake wrote Cry Me a River about Spears cheating on him with Robson. Neither Spears nor Timberlake has commented on these rumors. Holy crap! All right. Is your mind in 2004 yet? Everybody shouts out to Wade Robson. Just kidding, because it sounds like he's a a piece of work, a piece of trash work. Okay, let's do trivia clock for the episode. SpongeBob BC. SpongeBob BC or UG or SpongeBob Goes Prehistoric. 
was originally advertised as that SpongeBob goes prehistoric. The marathon leading up to its premiere was hosted by You Pick Life or whatever and had Patchy. <laughs> why, why did I write this down? The marathon leading up to its premiere was hosted by You Pick Live or whatever. <laughs> okay. And, and had Patchy trying to use a time machine to get to prehistoric times. And then I, I wrote also Wade Rops and WTF. <laughs> okay. Shout out to slightly less younger uh, Sam. Um, so, yeah, the, basically, I think uh, the first time that Grant Parks was on, we talked about this Pick Boy and like the different like live action characters or whatever. It was a weird time. Uh, in uh, animation history when we just had tons of like live action shows and like live action people hosting because Cartoon Network would go on to like totally copy the format a few years later. Anyway, it worked great for whenever, you know, you just dress Tom Kenny up as patchy and he can just for like two hours be like, oh, kids, it's almost time for the cartoon or whatever, you know. So leading up to it, he's like time traveling and it's fun. Look up the video um, of the commercials if you care. If you don't, that's okay. How about this? For the more classy sophisticates who don't want to watch commercials, this episode was nominated for an Emmy at the 2004 Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Animated Program for Programming Less Than One Hour. And, personal note, I think it deserved it. Spoilers for what I think of this episode. I freaking love this episode. However, it lost to Samurai Jack, which is a pretty good show, so I guess... You know, whatever. Shouts out to Grandy Tartakovsky. Okay, um, this is the first and I think only episode to use stock footage from a previous episode in it. Uh, and then this uh, is too good a quote uh, not to quote. This comes directly from uh, the uh, SpongeBob wiki. It was just so specific. I was like, I had, okay. The activities of SpongeGar, Patsar, and Squag uh, paint in parentheses inconsistent parallel with those of late archaic human species and early modern humans. It is thought that the Homo erectus uh, might have had a language. Homo erectus discovered fire and early modern humans domesticated animals in that order. However, SpongeGar has a pet and speaks a language with the other two by the time all three discover fire on screen. However, however, uh, this discovery was made underwater. So the, quote, late discovery of fire, still around 150 million years earlier than Homo erectus, according to the above timeline, can be excused. Man, what a roller coaster. Whoever wrote this, shouts out to you. Uh, and yeah, dude, you had me on the edge of my seat. I was like, you're right. This whole episode is trash, completely inconsistent. But then you really saved it with the fact that it was the fire was discovered underwater. So it's like a completely different timeline. And uh, who knows? Anyway. Continuing, um, there was an online uh, game based on uh, the this episode called BC Bowling, which you can still play today if you have uh, Ruffle installed on Google Chrome or whatever to emulate Flash. I played it for a little bit. It's pretty fun, pretty broken. Um, there's a huge, huge 2001 A Space Odyssey reference in this episode, which I will point out. Uh, the uh, atonal uh, singing choir according to the episode's credits, um, is made up of Tom Kenny, Bill uh, Fagerbaki, Roger Bumpus, Mr. Lawrence, D. Bradley Baker, and Serena Irwin. Um, the black and white stock footage of Caveman was taken from the 1914 silent film Brute Force, the first live-action dinosaur film. And finally, pers another personal anecdote for me, but still trivia, I personally had... The Nickelodeon magazine, which originally advertised this special from March 2004. It had a Sam, Sam Henderson comic in it, as most of them did, uh, or at least many of them did. It had a section on the Kids' Choice Awards, and the cover story was on how to draw SpongeGar. 
I think the the title of the magazine was like the sponge that time forgot or something like that. And it's SpongeBob like discovering SpongeGar frozen in ice, which obviously is not the plot of the episode, but got me pretty excited. Um, so it feels a little bit like I was lied to a little bit, I guess, but it's whatever. Okay. So with that, that's all the trivia I got. I guess the only other shout out is, you know, for the last couple specials, I, I said how many minutes of animation um, were in the actual episode. And I could have sworn that it was more than SpongeBob House Party, um, but I probably just thought that because I like this episode so much more. But it, but it's the same. It's about 14 minutes of animation. And then the rest is patchy stuff with one brief little animation cameo from SpongeBob, extremely similar to the um, setup of SpongeBob House Party. So with that, Let's jump into the episode, Ugh. It's time for another SpongeBob SquarePants special. But it's not an ordinary special, because today we go to Encino, California, as it was 100 million years ago. So prepare yourself for SpongeBob SquarePants BC. Before comedy. <laughs> With your host, Patchy the Pilot. Welcome, everybody, back to the episode SpongeBob BC, parentheses before comedy. This episode was written by Paul Tibbet, Kent Osborne, and premiered March 5th, 2004. Um, okay, so starting out, I have to say, so shout out. Um, we, we had a listener write in uh, a few weeks ago asking, what did I think of this um, compared to the episode SpongeBob House Party? Um, and they themselves said, um, I think that uh, SpongeBob House Party is um, way better than SpongeBob BC, uh, and that even the, the patchy stuff in SpongeBob BC is funnier than the actual animation. I have to say, I think that this entire episode is really good and really funny. And I think that the patchy stuff in this episode is really funny and it feels much more to me like uh, the episode um, Christmas Who, where it's just like so charming and special. And I'm not sure why that is. Part of me wonders, you know, SpongeBob House Party feels like, and I don't want to assume that this is the case, but it, but it feels like a sort of Nickelodeon setup where it's like, we know, you know, from audience research that this is going to get people to watch the episode house party theme crazy fun time stay up till 8 30 p.m whatever you know to watch the episode spongebob being a caveman feels so random it, it is of course very similar to sp129 as um people have pointed out but i think that they know that and they, they make some like references to it, explicit references to it throughout the episode um and it, it feels more it feels less like let's just you know uh, farm this for for ideas since we can't think of something new we'll just rehash it it feels more like that was fun i have an idea for an episode to explore that idea more in a really different way and it's just so like the premise is like it's spongebob and patrick in prehistoric times and it's like such, such, I know that I overuse this analogy, but I think this is the most Tom and Jerry episode of SpongeBob ever. Like, it's just sight gags. It's so fun and silly. So anyway, but before we get to the the, the cartoon part of the episode, the patchy stuff is super, super funny. I genuinely laughed really hard with this opening scene. Uh, we get a little bit of like, do you remember, um, I think it was in Christmas Who, where there's some jokes, there, there's several jokes about Patchy being disgruntled with his job and with, like, the listeners, you know? Uh, like, I remember, you know, when he's like, you know what time, you know what it's time for? Ice cream! And he's like, ha, 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 no. 
you know, um, or when we see like a, a, a um, like the puppeteer uh, controlling potty like fall from the freaking ceiling. Stuff like that is so funny. Uh, and I think that this is like pretty on par with this opening scene with Patchy. Well, it's because today's SpongeBob takes place in prehistoric times, back when man struggled for survival and dinosaurs ruled the earth. Isn't that right, Bronte? But I'm writing you now! <laughs> Stuck. Oh, 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 get me out! Oh, oh. Like I was saying, prehistoric times were the greatest! <laughs> like, it's a really easy joke, but it genuinely makes me laugh really hard, like... This man like yelling angrily and then cut like and, and they have like like th- the uh you know camera crew like frantically run in <laughs> anyway it's very funny um and then we get a um similar cameo like um the uh SpongeBob party pants whatever party pooper pants uh where you know we cut to man I'd love to go to this party but. Uh, whoever wrote this clearly doesn't understand the physical limitations of life underwater and they throw in the fire or whatever, you know, you know, the one. Um, and I think I said in that, um, that it was the, the funniest part of that episode and that little clip probably funnier than this one, but I still think that this one is really charming and really funny. That's not true. Don't mind him folks. Why even SpongeBob SquarePants knows that prehistoric stuff is what do the kids say? Cool. Brock, no he doesn't. Yes he does. No. He most certainly does. No he doesn't. Yes he does. No. I know for a fact that he does. Not. <laughs> Meanwhile. SpongeBob, what's wrong? I don't know, Mr. Krabs, but I've got the strangest feeling that somewhere a pirate and parrot are arguing about me. And the parrot is winning. <laughs> like, that's really funny. And then it comes back to, does, does it, does, does it. And even that is just like, it's dumb, but it's funny to me. And I don't, it's just, and the parrot is winning. What, what is it? I need, I, I don't know. There's something about it that's just hilarious to me. Of like, I don't know. Whatever that form of joke is. So, so I, I really enjoy it. And I think it's really cute where Patchy is just excited about prehistoric times. Why? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just like, how kids love dinosaurs for some reason, you know, um, maybe it's just, it is completely random and, and there is no reason for it, you know, but he's just so stoked about prehistoric times. And he's telling everybody like prehistoric times are the best, you know, simpler pleasures, you know, um, easier to hit a baseball and he's got a giant club or whatever, you know, um, you could paint on the walls and no one would yell at you. And so he's just stoked about prehistoric times. And it's such a cute conflict, um, to have, uh, potty just not be on board and he's just like talking to him like he's a boomer you know and he's like get with the times old man the future is cool and it's just like such a stupid silly like disagreement to have of like what's cooler prehistoric times or the future you know and that conflict feels much more cute and innocent to me than uh the one that was in spongebob uh house party of like no, this party has to go my way and I'm going to try and kick the birds out of the party or whatever, you know. Um, and and I, I'm not going to compare this entire episode to House Party the whole time, but it's just the setups are so similar. And yet there's something about this one that feels so charming and cute and fun, um, which we'll discuss more as, as we get into the cartoon. So, so um, you know, Patchy and Potty can't. Uh, get things figured out. Oh, also, th- this is completely coincidence. Um, because 
this film came out later, but <laughs> their argument reminds me so much of Hot Rod. I know for a fact that you do not party. <laughs> I know for a fact that SpongeBob does think it's cool. Anyway, so they can't get it figured out, their argument. So uh, Padgy says, let's roll the cartoon. And we now jump into the actual cartoon, Ugg. <laughs> Dawn breaks over the primordial sea. It is here that millions of years ago, life began taking its first clumsy steps out of the darkness, opening its newly formed eyeballs to stare into the blinding light of intelligence in order to... Uh, never mind. This happened a long time ago. episode and spongegar will you know pull gary tabunga gary tabunga and gary is huge and everything i just it's just so cute and fun like and clever like it's a little bit of flintstones with like the prehistoric technology or whatever of his arm alarm clock you know but obviously most of it it's not flintstones because it's not like modern times in prehistoric times or whatever it's all super basic, uh, brutalist, whatever. And I could see how it, it might bother someone that the prehistoric times were done so differently in SB 129, um, and maybe argue, arguably better. Um, and honestly, normally it would bother me. Like I, I, I was the pedantic child that was like, why is King Neptune different for the movie? This doesn't make any sense. And then it's working out in my head like, well, it must be like, you know, they, they just didn't say it, but he was like an heir to the throne and it's a different King Neptune or whatever, you know. Um, and I'm sure I have worked out in my head, like when I was a kid, like that SpongeGar and this is different than the prehistoric SpongeBob um, in uh, SB 129. But because this episode is so charming, I just honestly, I don't mind. And, and more than I don't mind, I love it so much. SpongeBob is so cute and I love his design so much. And I remember just being captivated by it when I was a kid. Cause I don't know, it's it's just so fun. It like it is SpongeBob, and yet it's like totally different, but cute. And you can there's clearly inspiration from his SB129 design. But um, and I remember being stoked about learning how to draw him <laughs> when I was a kid from that Nick magazine or whatever. You know, it's clever the setup of the whales uh, being like the alarm clock and stuff like that. Like they did not phone it in at 
all for this episode. You can tell so much tender love and care went into it. The backgrounds are so immaculate. Um, opening on like the island above SpongeBob's, uh, you know, above Bikini Bottom, and it being super smoggy and stuff, and and you're, it's like just so well observed. Like, yeah, like the prehistoric stuff in the in the movies and in the cartoons is like always like smoggy and spooky for some reason. Like, why is that? You know, everything's overgrown. Everything's huge. Um, I mean, admittedly, odd choice to I I. Th- think i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i think that they open up with like actual clips from sp1 sp129 not all of them but there's one of this like mollusk looking thing uh i almost said flying swimming away that i'm pretty sure is uh ripped straight from sp129 and yeah i like i know for sure that they um painted new backgrounds and it even with like the reuse clips it's clever and really impressive how they sort of blend the two together because um even the new painted backgrounds have this kind of grainy scratchy old feel um which is appropriate you know for the episode so i really really freaking love (laughs) the opening of this and I think to, to sum it up briefly, it's because they put so much care into it that it feels like I am being transported to another world in this episode. There's so much mystery. You're just dropped into it, you know? Um, just uh, honestly, just like the pilot episode, of course he lives in a pineapple city. It's just like, without even that, it's just like, this is the world. There's whales, you know, there's giant Gary, all this, you know? So anyway. Moving forward, um, the Squidward, we scan over to him. It's not Squidward, it's Squag or whatever, but it's just so cute and fun, like, seeing how they are the same, but they're not the same. But for the most part, like, these cavemen versions of our characters are just mapped on to the actual main characters, right? Um, Squag has a portrait hanging in uh, his, his bedroom next to his window, which is so cute and, like, and it is crazy. Portrait has eight tentacles. Don't know what that's about. Crazy. Um, but then he, he like, you know, Squag sees that um, Gary has gotten puka all over his front yard uh, and is pissed about it. Um, and it's just, this is what I'm talking about with, like, how charming the jokes are. It's such a stupid and simple joke. But for one, Squag, like, picking up the two clubs to decide which one he's going to go beat SpongeBob with. Or SpongeGar. Sorry, I'm going to do that a lot this episode looking at them as if there's any difference between the two because there's <laughs> obviously not and then setting one down and the one crying that is the stuff that I'm talking about of like just how cute and fun I don't know like it just feels like a kid could have come up with this in a good way because it's just silly and charming so um, and then the, the next note that I just have here is the caveman writing is really funny to me um, because the delivery still feels true to their characters. Like, if you listen to it, I'm sure you will agree, especially Squag's lines, straight up sound. Like, he does such a good job delivering them exactly how uh, Squidward would deliver them, right? Like, Tabanga do, Tabanga do. I'm sure those aren't the exact words, but he says it in, like, that exact, you know, Squidward intonation and cadence um, and it's just like really delightful because it feels like they did write the episode it isn't just gibberish and I'm sure this is kind of what Tom Kenny is talking about some he can see 
the characters in the storyboard. He's like, oh yeah, I get that. We've done this interaction so many times. Um, so anyway, really, really fun. This is of course where we get the one English line before Squidward heads out the door. Uh, he thinks about the fact that Gary could completely just demolish him. And he says, wait a minute. And that's interesting to me because I'm like, were they just like, we're, we're going to try and do as many lines as possible in caveman speech, but this one, we just couldn't think of a line that would be obvious enough what he's doing. So we're, we're just going to do, wait a minute. It's okay. I guess, cause he is more intelligent than the rest of them. Um, cause his bonga or whatever the word for uh brain is, um, isn't as stupid or whatever, but anyway. Okay. So the episode just gets more charming, um, as, Squag slips on the puka, flies around, and crashes uh, into Patar's house. <laughs> um, eats some of the puka, which is kind of gross, but then is hugging the crap out of Squag. Love that it establish establishes that in this you know universe, Patrick is too like disproportionately just jacked, <laughs> super strong or whatever. Um, and the cuteness is just cranked up to eleven when SpongeGar and Patar see each other. <laughs> Patar, no got Malanga, Palinka. Palinka. You see what I'm talking about? Like, you know what that joke is. It's it's Squidward laughing at his own joke and repeating the last word because it was clever. Palinka. <laughs> you know, but that whole interaction is just so, well, I mean, I hate the lips. <laughs> I'll say that. I absolutely hate Patar uh, pulling his lips up over his head and then it them tearing off of his face. But it redeems itself because he immediately goes back to this cute, soft smile and he's got like his hands together. Like they're just like excited to see each other, whatever. It feels very much like when toddlers meet each other before, like they're able to talk or communicate in any way, but you can tell that they like each other and they're friends. And all they know how to do is just kind of like motion to each other, the basic, uh, you know, uh, uh, motory skills that they've learned so far and then like do so in kind back to each other, or whatever. Super, super cute. Um, you can tell there's a lot of just like subtle references to SB-129 in their character design and like their mannerisms, um, in this scene specifically. Um, and then the, I think honestly, the thing that I love the most about this scene is the music. It's so pleasant and chill. Like that, that music that we hear with the opening credits or whatever, they're like, <laughs> you know, it, it almost feels a little bit like, um, uh, hooked on a feeling or whatever the sound hooked on a feeling is like trying to ape or whatever, you know, but so like they could have done that for this whole episode, but they don't, they do this like really pleasant, like do, 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 you know, just like soft drums or whatever in the background. And I think I forgot to say this at the top, but one of the main reasons that I love this episode is it's, it's very Zen. It's very simple in Zen and I don't know. It's just like we're just existing and it makes sense because these characters, you know, SpongeGar and Patar just kind of wake up, 
putts around their day and then they go to bed, you know? Um, and we just get, get to kind of like sit in here, it, it, sit in the moment in the episode, soak it in, um, and just enjoy like the delightful colors and action and expression. And like the music just matches that really, really well. And I think that you'll hear this music too in this next scene. Um, super, super cute. Uh, how just to like have fun today, we see a classic SpongeBob Patrick moment in prehistoric version um, where SpongeGar teaches Patrick how to blow bubbles. You see what I'm saying about the music being so pleasant? And like they I I have to think they know it because for one, they've got they've got a lot of songs. They don't just cycle like the one that they were able to find in their library or whatever. Um, but two, like the music gets pretty loud at points in this episode. <clears throat> and I and, and I know that it's because they know that the music speaks for itself and we're just like existing in the moment or whatever, you know. Um, dude, bring back clapper jokes. When I was a kid, I just assumed like, like when you're a, an adult and I don't know, make a little bit more money than whatever my family made. I just like, everybody must have a clapper light, you know, or maybe not that many people have it, but people have it because it's like a luxury item. You know, I don't think I've ever seen one in my entire life. And I don't, we're, were they invented before we had motion detecting lights? Because that makes way more sense than a clapper, but I just freaking I and I can't think of any specific ones off the top of my head, like examples other than I guess the Simpsons where um Homer keeps like trying to turn the lights off and Marge has to be like, Homer, that's not a clapper light or whatever, you know. Um, but I know for a fact, and I'm sure that you do too, so many different friggin' cartoons just had a, a joke at least built around somebody like clapping or accidentally clapping and the lights turning off or whatever. So it has no place in this episode about cavemen, which is why I love it that much more. And it's like, you know, I feel like you also see in a lot of cartoons um, from around this time or, or, or before this era of people doing, I don't know, like rain dances or rituals or whatever and accidentally or purposely causing it to rain or whatever. Um, and so it's fun that that, that trope i don't know if they're like trying to explicitly reference that but that trope is done in this in an innocuous kind of spongebob way of them clapping um you know that that is a trope right am i I wrong of like i don't know people like discovering that they can control the weather or whatever it's like this episode is full of like pretty much all of your staple you know um you know cavemen tropes or whatever and dude i maybe i'm an idiot but I just realized, like, as I'm looking at the screen caps from this episode, I never once thought about, like, where does the log come from that catches on fire? But it is the log that he blows bubbles out of. And I think that I said something similar on the episode Chocolate with Nuts, where the jokes are jokes in their own right. But then they also serve to set up the next joke. It's kind of like classic improv, like, yes, and or whatever, you know. Um, but so anyway. It's really sweet. They they get it to rain. They can't get it to stop. I mean, it start going. It starts going crazy. Um, 
And Squidward very, uh, you know, condescendingly says, no, Puka Squag or whatever. Um, And he's doing another, he's doing, it looks like basically like uh, uh, American Gothic, but just with him and he's holding a club. Um, And we can see in the background, like his like stone clarinet or whatever. And it's very charming. Anyway, he looks outside (laughs) and I laughed very hard at like, it's storming and him being annoyed at them. Um, but then hearing the lightning and seeing that SpongeGar and Patar frickin' die. Patar takes SpongeGar, Bob Wanna got. No Puka Squawk. Squawk takes a la fool. Patar! SpongeGar! <laughs> And and they invent fire. And again, with the tropes of like, you know, your classic, like really the only one that they don't cover here is like the invention of the wheel. Though I guess you could maybe argue that they accidentally do with the rolling log later in the episode or whatever. But at this point, like when I started watching this episode and I hadn't seen it probably since 2004 or close to it, um, I was just like, I, I could not remember what the episode was about. I knew that it was quote unquote about prehistoric times spongebob and patrick um and maybe just from thinking about it like you know leading up to it i was like a little worried like oh this is 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 this gonna feel like just like you didn't really have a story here you just were like we'll just do something random or whatever and to to some extent that is the case but they do it so well that i'm forgiving of it or whatever but when we got to this point in the episode i remembered like oh yeah no this is like what the episode is quote unquote about it's about them inventing fire and then dealing with that. And I think that it's really clever that the episode does have some framing around it. And that central conflict is the invention uh, of fire. And I love it too, because it's like almost like a secret plot. <laughs> like, you know, because you go in, you think that it's like aimless, maybe even uninspired. Um, but it actually does have a, a plot thread. But you don't sell it on that. You just sell it on like, it's just a BC episode, which they did. I, I'm pretty sure like, I mean, you could tell in that in the commercials that they're fighting over fire, but they sell it on just like, we're going back to prehistoric times or whatever, you know. Um but the secret plot that carries the entire episode is this conflict around the fire. So I just really love that. And I also need to shout out once again, the shot of them. He He's like SpongeGar, Patar, and we just get a smash cut to them just dead on the ground <laughs> was really, really funny. So anyway, um, I've the scene of them touching the fire. You know, we, we see um, squad kind of figure out that the fire is no good. And I always laugh when I was a kid and today at uh, SpongeGar and Patar touching the fire in there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and even specifically Patrick has kind of like, he like smacks his lips a little bit. Like he's like taking it all in and thinking about it. Um, and then um, they realize like this burns and they've learned that fire hurts you or, or whatever. Um, and we get the gag again of, of Patrick taking out salt and pouring it on his hand and eating it, um, which is very funny. And Patrick is very territorial about eating. And again, on character. Really fun how they set them up and they're different, but they're close enough that you remember and then they just like play with that or whatever. So anyway, um, I thought it was really, really funny. You know, SpongeGar and Squag uh, like are sad and hungry. Again, toddlers that just want to eat something or maybe they're like animals. I don't know. But SpongeGar is like, hey, Squag, 
no, check it out. Like, I, there's some uh, sea anemone that we could eat. Um, they always like look like mushrooms to me um, for some reason. But um, he's like, hang on, uh, Squag, I'll be right back. And uh, he um, says that his brain is manga or whatever. Um, and it's like an image of just like a protozoa, like an amoeba, which I thought was really funny. Um, and I, I couldn't tell at first. Like, I was like, is that a caveman joke? Like, that is like he thinks that he's like undeveloped, like that would have been the thing that they evolved from or something, you know? Or is he just saying that like that's how small his brain is or whatever? I think that we get a, another joke later that confirms it's um, the former. But so anyway, SpongeBob grabs the sea anemone. He, he runs them over to Squag, trips on Squag, and drops the, the food in the fire, which is bad because that means that you don't get the food anymore, right? No eating. Uh, Squag is understandably mad at SpongeBob and in the middle of yelling at him, <laughs> Patar shows up um, and is trying to eat his hand again. He's salting his burnt hand because he's coming back for seconds or something. Um, he smashes his head and <laughs> the drawing of Patrick smashed with like his teeth sticking out or whatever. It's very, very cute and funny. But we get the funniest, I think, like 2001 Space Odyssey reference here where SpongeGar is staring at Squag's hand. And I think if you haven't seen it, you should just genuinely, if you've seen the film 2001, a space odyssey, this episode is much funnier, but if not just watch the opening scene, I'm sure if you go on YouTube and just search like 2001 space odyssey, uh, like chimp scene or opening scene or whatever, slight spoilers for the opening of that film. I'll just explain it to you quick there. It's the film opens with a monolith, uh, this like giant, um, you know, spooky dark like rectangle sitting uh, in prehistoric times and these uh, monkeys uh, or apes or whatever go over and one of them touches it and uh, basically after that learns they're like territory. I'm explaining this terribly, but th- there's like the uh, these different um, groups of primates like warring with each other or whatever, like being all territorial. But after one of them touches the monolith, it quote unquote evolves and this is all like subtext i think it's pretty obvious subtext but subtext nonetheless and then we get that music boom 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 as he he's kind of putting it together and he grab it's kind of a sad scene to be honest he grabs a club or a stick or a branch or whatever and basically learns to use it as a weapon that's like the point of like that point of the story um and they he hits another monkey and kills it or whatever. And then they take over that land. The other like group of monkeys runs away or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, that's your setup for 2001 space Odyssey. If you haven't seen it, but with that in mind now, enjoy this scene. Spongebob? Hmm? Mm. 
Not Dumbo. And then he's got an image of um, Einstein. So I, I guess, you know, he was saying that he was as dumb as a amoeba before, but now he's as smart as a guy that will live thousands of years later or whatever. Um, I just, like, in my notes, I was like, holy frick. The 2001 Space Odyssey joke is so freaking good. And I just have typed ha 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 over and over, you know. I just love it so freaking much. Um, it's so funny. The cross-cutting is so ridiculous and so funny. The, like... Dare I say poorly drawn SpongeBob face that's just like direct on, you know, is so funny. Like the way that they're aping, like what actually happens to the film with the cross cutting and stuff like that. Of course, there would be a barbershop quartet <laughs> like doing this like epic song or whatever, you know. Um, and then it's just so fun. Like, so for one, I don't know for sure if it, it might be like a reference to 2001 a Space Odyssey that, um, Spongebob is like trying to explain his idea and Squidward hits him in the head. Maybe that's a reference to, you know, Squidward quote unquote evolving uh, to have like a weapon or whatever. Regardless, if it's not, it's a funny joke <laughs> that you would misunderstand like, oh, you want me to do this to you too. How I just hit <laughs> like Patrick or whatever, you know. Um, but then it's just so cute. Like rather than invent w uh, weapons, like in the film, they invent cooking. They just invent cooking you know so um it's so fun and so cute and then he like shows squag um they just like are like showing you know all these different like cute um animations of them like eating food now uh i absolutely love how like um they eat you know i, I don't you see an enemy i don't know they just are like these little round things they're clearly meant to like look like um marshmallows and hey shout out to marshmallows again because i freaking love marshmallows so i'm sure i was stoked about this when i was a kid but it's just so freaking cute <laughs> our three main characters just sitting around the fire and they're just roasting stuff you know you get the marshmallow looking thing you get some coral that kind of looks like steamed broccoli or something like that i laughed so hard <laughs> at patrick he like very violently almost in a firmly grasped sort of way just puts his poker stick through another stick and then eats it kind of of course hate him you know like stabbing the bottom and top of his mouth <laughs> but it's funny and his like little kind of side grin is, is really funny um and, but then we get the funniest cameo of this entire episode is, is sponge guard corrects him Pat that. Mm, mm. what sponge guy it looks like our prehistoric pals have just discovered fire, but they will soon learn that when you play with fire, you may get burned. Stay tuned. 
<laughs> so it's just it's just so funny and cute. I was like, holy f! Like that is so freaking funny. You know, pulling up under a rock and just pathetic little crabs, money, money, money. It's just like so funny, and I. I don't know. I don't know why. It's so funny that he would just, in his prehistoric state, just still be consumed with money. Um, and then he freaking kills him, <laughs> just smashes him. I don't know. It's just shocking, I guess. You just don't expect it or whatever. But but it's delicious. They love it. They're stoked. And then that ends part one of the cartoon UG. We cut back to uh, Patchy, and he's like, see, kids? Prehistoric times are pretty awesome. And again, this whole scene, really, really cute um, and funny. Like, he's, like, trying to make fire. He's, like, chalk one up for prehistoric times. And then they actually show, uh, like, chalk on a chalkboard, which is really funny. And you would think is, like, oh, that's just going to be, like, a throwaway gag that they don't come back to. Oh, but just you wait. But so he's trying to get, like, the fire to work, and he's, like, can't really get it to work. And then a stinking laser comes out of nowhere. It's potty. Chalk one up for the future, and then he's got like a digital chalkboard, which is so funny. It's just, and this is what I'm talking about, like the time and care that went into like the props and every, everything. It's just like so impressive and funny. And I genuinely was like belly laughing at like, oh yeah, well check this out. I found a caveman, and Bill Fagerbaki. I assume I think it looks like him, and certainly sounds like him. Though I guess I could be ADR. Um, comes out and it's just so freaking funny both that he has a caveman and it's like like a grotesque caveman you know not like a fred flintstone type caveman those were very much in the zeitgeist because of geico commercials weren't they they really geico really like they had a fork in the road moment where they're like is the gecko our thing or is the caveman does it please for the love of neptune Right into spongedspamrobots.com. If anybody else remembers when they tried making a caveman show based on the Geico commercials, please tell me I didn't make that up in my head. Anyway, the caveman comes out and it's like comedically very clever, I think, that he's like timid and scared, <laughs> you know? And you get like a cute, like, don't worry, cavey, it's fine or whatever. But like, it's not like, oh, how charming that he has a caveman. It's like, He's scared and doesn't want to be here, which is just, like, really funny, you know. Um, but then it's immediately one-upped by this super, both elaborate and ornate, but at the same time, like, uh, overly simple robot that comes out, voiced by Tom Kenny, which is really funny. And then the two, like, get in a fight and stuff. And it's just, like, I don't know, really, really fun and funny and the, the whole thing just like makes me giggle usually with the patchy stuff i'm like okay i get back to the cartoon or whatever but it's just like so silly and ridiculous that i enjoy it so anyway so patchy's gonna throw us to a quick break and then we will we will throw it to a quick quick break in the episode or like at this transition we get a really cute painting of spongebob not knowing what to do with the fire look it up it's very cute um but anyway let's throw it to a quick break and then when we come back we will finish off the episode SpongeBob BC parentheses before comedy. Will Patchy ever get control of the special? What will SpongeBob do with fire? Stay tuned to SpongeBob SquarePants BC and find out. Fossil, your seatbelts. <laughs> SpongeBob goes prehistoric tonight at 9:30, 8:30 Central, only on Nickelodeon. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the segment, Everybody's a Critic, the part of the show where you write a review and then I read it on the air. Um, this review comes from the username dndhxdhebjdd. 
Um, and I gotta say, <laughs> this is probably one of my favorite reviews. Uh, they gave one star, <laughs> that's out of five to be clear, one star, uh, the subject uh, line says, only a fan of first three seasons, in all caps, that's my best all caps voice. And the review reads this, wow, <laughs> exclamation point. Um, thank you, D-N-D-H-X-D-H-E-B-J-D-D for writing in uh, or leaving a review. Uh, remember, <laughs> leaving a review always helps other people find the episode. Uh, let's see, what does that bring us to? Uh, an average of four and a half out of five stars. That's all right. That's better than probably most of my life in general. Remember, you can leave a review and it helps others find the podcast uh, and then I'll read it on the air and we'll all have a good time. Um, Back to the show. It's SpongeBob Goes Prehistoric, a brand new DVD and home video. You can see Stone Age SpongeBob, Neanderthal Squidward, Primate Patrick, Cave Pirate Patchy, and Primitive Breakdancing. SpongeBob Goes Prehistoric is available now on DVD and VHS. Now back to more SpongeBob on Nickelodeon. When we last saw our hungry troglodytes, they just discovered fire. How long will it take for them to mess it up? Let's see. Hey everybody, we're back with the episode of A Million Different Names. Um, I'm just calling it Spongebob BC from here on out. Um, our hungry little troglodytes, how cute. So this episode, it moves forward, um, and it's like mostly just, you know, just them eating things for a minute. And this is kind of what I'm saying with like the Tom and Jerry-esque-ness. I mean, I guess like the, the Tom and Jerry-ness mostly comes later with like them chasing the fire. It's very much cat and, ma- cat and mouse later. Um, but I was watching, I don't, I do not know why. I think, you know what? The other night before bed, I was just curious. I was like, when did Tom and Jerry first come out? Like it's probably old and it's probably shockingly old. And it was. 1940 is when the first Tom and Jerry came out. Um, and Tom and Jerry, you know, evidently they, they were theatrical shorts, right? So like a cartoon that would play before your movie at the theaters. I wish they should bring that back. That's, I mean, obviously like Pixar and stuff like, anyway, so it's really old, right? And I, and then I was like morbidly curious, not, not morbidly, yeah, it was kind of morbid um, because the drawings are morbid. Um, I was like, what does episode one of Tom and Jerry look like? And I was surprised that for the most part, it's pretty like similar. Like it didn't change a ton. Tom is pretty scary looking. Um, but anyway, so then I was like, what's episode two look like? And episode two looks much more like the Tom and Jerry that you have in your mind, you know? But so then me and Morgan just got sucked in and we're just watching Tom and Jerry. And I looked up another one where like that little French mouse is in it and stuff. And I was like, this is really honestly entertaining really funny and the animation is like so captivating so honestly i just like have a genuine hot uh hot spot no soft spot um for like just well done animation and they're just eating food but in like really like clever ways like they don't it's not just like run back and forth run back and forth grab this item put it back grab this item put it back you know they skewer a bunch of things at once and then squag makes a kebab and then um Patar just like eats his shirt and then wipes his face off with it. SpongeBob like 
makes like spaghetti out of like a vine. Squag uses rocks to make popcorn. We see a ton of little Mr. Krabs's, and then like the to top it all off, like the piece de resistance, as the Italians say. Um, SpongeBob makes like a sand Krabby Patty, and it's like just so cute. And as a kid, you're like, yeah, it's the Krabby Patty. Oh my gosh! Um, and then this next clip I know is so annoying, but it's so satisfying to me for some reason. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, they know what they're doing with, like, the, you know, just, like, annoying noises back and forth. Rip to all the parents that had to listen to this, you know? Um, And then I, I laughed really hard at Squag. Like, I don't know if that's because Roger Bumpus can't do the burp noise or, well, then I don't, I'm sure it's not actually them doing the burp noises. Maybe it is. Um, But him just in a more refined way doing it is really funny. But then so freaking clever um, that like the, all the jungleness is cleared out. And and I'm like, I don't, I don't think that they like had that in mind. Like they're setting it up at the start of like, and then you'll find out that all of it, but it does like, at least on a surface level joke, it's a really clever way to show how much they ate, you know? And if you didn't notice before, you now realize like, man, there was a lot of like forestry around them or whatever, you know? And then part of me even wonders like, is it a fun little like, and that's why there's no, you know, plant life in a lot of Bikini Bottom. It's just like this giant desert or whatever, you know? So it's really, really cute. Um, I love the challenge that they give themselves of drawing spongebob is really fat because like patrick and squidward it's like obvious you just like make them like you know get more round as, as they go down their, their body shape or whatever you know but spongebob's like still perfectly squarish but with this like lump coming out of him or whatever you know so anyway um the the next conflict comes up now um as they like realize they're, they're all saying good night and a very um uh is it little house on the prairie is that the show that I always did or was it I don't know. You know the one. Good night, George, Bob, whatever. Um, like saying good night to each other. And then they all realize like, wait, I want the fui fui for myself. Um, and I think that at first this altercation with Spongegar and Squag is really cute. They're kind of like shoving, gentle shoving, which then devolves into very cartoony smashing each other on the head with mallets. No squad, flee flee, sponge guard, flee flee. Sponge guard, faganda. And it's just really cute. And then Patar, you know, runs away giggling or whatever. And there's not a lot of episode left, but what is left is largely just them chasing. I mean, it, actually, no, that is bas- basically it, the entire thing. It's just them chasing after the fire. Um, but it's cute and it's really fun. And it just feels like it lets them really show off their animation chops. And this is why I'm saying like this was worthy of um, being nominated for an Emmy because even if you look at a lot of the animated shorts that get nominated for best animated short, you have your like standards that you're always going to see, like the Pixar shorts or whatever that like make you cry before the movie starts or laugh really hard or whatever. But a lot of them, um, other than those, like 
and this is true of the Pixar shorts too, but they just really show off their chops for animation and the expressiveness of it and the ability to share an, an extremely simple story, get you from point A to point B to point C, you know, um, in a short amount of time. And it doesn't have to be this like incredibly thought provoking thing or whatever, though it can be. But in this case, it's genuinely go back and watch it. The animation just sings off of the page screen. You know what I mean? So really, really fun. They get a lot of like stupid gags that are really funny. The fire floating after somebody drops it midair is stupid and funny. The Tarzan swing is really funny. The the rolling log, like the log rolls down this tree and the fire always stays perfectly on top. It's like such a fun little des- design, cartoon design for the fire itself. Like draw this log. And there's a flame always perfectly like on top of the log, you know. Um, the picture that Squag terrifies Patar with is just that. It's terrifying. Uh, and cute like Squag like trying to get into his house, but it's locked, you know. Um, it's just all of it is like so good. Spongegar like tied up um, and like hanging upside down like uh, all of it. It's just, I love it. So anyway, it all comes to a head when they're all struggling over the fire. Um, and, and it doesn't go well for them. And the fun's over. They're so torn apart. And, of course, they're about to, like, remorse it. So, yeah, let's just listen to this last clip. It's cute. Um, And, you know, for as, like, brutal and... um, What's the word? Uh, Not oblique. It's, like, very grotesque. It's grotesque, this episode. But for as brutal and grotesque as it is, it is that much more cute, you know, like it genuinely balances both and and not in like a, we don't want to commit to either too much. It just does both times a hundred, you know? So anyway, cute ending, uh, as SpongeGar and Patar realize like this fire is tearing us apart. Patar? SpongeGar? Oh, Patar! Oh, SpongeGar! <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps certain events in history are better left untold. It's just such a strong ending to me. Genuinely. I'm not just like saying that because I'm like trying to convince myself that this is like a good cartoon or something. It's like just so many pieces of it, you know, it maybe it feels a little cheap to you if it's just like they end like, oh, what have we done? You know, but I think that the episode knows how Pat and um Sanguine or saccharine or whatever the word is that I discovered a few months ago is how 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 sugary sweet the ending is because it leans into that right uh, and it's very on the nose. Spongegar and Patar learned their lesson. Very on the nose as well. Squag 
did not learn his lesson. And he's about to hit them over the head with a club <laughs> in caveman fashion. And he gets immediately struck by lightning. And the two uh, get to enjoy a meal together, you know, over his like smoking body or whatever, you know. Um, and it, it, we get his like uh, whatever caveman phrase that he says. And so like with that, they, they keep the... Um, the morals that have been communicated, the moral integrity of the story of the universe that have been communicated through the storytelling by the very last beat. And it, and it doesn't feel cheap to me. Like the ending, like the music itself is very like, you know, we're slowly gliding out of this. We're done. The sun is setting on bikini bottom and we're leaving or whatever. And it doesn't feel cheap to me that the narrator says like perhaps some uh, stories in antiquity are better left untold like that's very cute and sweet to me how it's like you know uh i I don't know like sometimes those endings can feel cheap like well that was crazy or like if they just don't resolve the plot and you have the narrator like sometimes the plot doesn't get resolved or whatever and you're just like okay you just you actually couldn't think of an ending but for this you can tell the writers know this is where we wanted them to end the the fun has to end sometime and we'll end with a cute little narrator like let's close the the page on this chapter let's close the book and the story's over so i love ug i love it so much the whole cartoon it genuinely is probably one of my favorite um, episodes from season three. I know that that's insane, but I love it. So to Colton, who wrote in a couple weeks ago asking uh, how I thought that they compared, there you go. I love it. I I would probably rank it as third best um, for my money, SpongeBob specials, the first two being Christmas Who and then Shanghai. Um, And then probably after that, I mean, I guess we'll see when we get to it, but the last episode and SpongeBob house party rip. But anyway, the episode's not done yet. As if, you know, the ending couldn't be sweet enough. We get a very sweet ending, which I, again, think is sweeter than SpongeBob house party, um, where Patchy is just so dejected because he's like, I can't do it. Like the whole special's ruined or whatever. And Potty's like, hey man, just to make it up for you, I got you a surprise. Um, And... Uh, like just come inside and show you. And he's like, oh, you got rid of the killer robot? He's like, nope, even better. And dude, <laughs> I think I might have complained on SpongeBob House Party. I think I said that. Anyway, this is how I feel. I liked the song at the end of it, but it felt so out of place. This song, for one, slaps. I love it so much. The actual song is so stupid and fun and catchy. The intercut animations, either clips from the episode or new original art of like the cave paintings, dancing and stuff, um, or like the almost like found footage clips from uh, SB-129 that they even remix and, and sample. So good. The whole thing is so freaking good. So I am going to make you listen to this entire song. Write into spongespamrobots.com if you think that I'm wrong, and I will personally apologize to you by name for making you listen to this entire song, When Worlds Collide. When Worlds Collide. Pretty sweet, eh? You can run, but no can hide. When Worlds Collide, you'll laugh so hard, you'll swear you died. When Worlds Collide, hold my hand, I'll be your guide. When Worlds Collide. Buckle, buckle. 
Buckle up for the sweetest ride and prepare to have your mind blown wide when worlds collide. When yo, check it out. When worlds collide, it's a curious thing. Bet you never heard a robot and a caveman sing. In his metal chest are some working parts. How is that different from my beaten art? I'm from the future. And I'm from the past. But that don't mean this friendship wasn't built to last. He was made in a lab and I was born in a cave. So let me hear you holler for this inter era wraith. Word. I am Sponge Strong. You, 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 you can run. But you can hide. Twin worlds collide. You see what I'm talking about? That song's freaking awesome. I feel like Strong Bad after the cheat showed him Fahudma Gods. The sampling future and I am SpongeTron. Like, so I, I wrote down in my notes here, I realize it's been a while since we had a, a really in-depth observation, like maybe this episode is we we have them you know sprinkled throughout the episode or whatever but often we're just talking about like this scene is funny and here's why or i relate to this and here's why but i know that this episode we've um done a lot more like analyzing you know what makes the animation work stuff like that and zooming out i do think that it's interesting it feels like this marks a milestone for spongebob granted it's a late one because we're about at the end of, of season three, but a milestone of the self-reference and reverence. And I know that I um, talked about that some at the beginning of season one, just in like when we started to get into like, oh yeah, I remember this is what the characters are like, but this is different where it's like, you know, this episode created in 2002, premiered in 2004, which is crazy. Um, way on the back end of the show is like, Throwing it back. Remember 1999, five years ago. Remember like the the nostalgia that you have. We're only in season three, but the season three, you know, is spread out so far that towards the end of season three, you have legitimate nostalgia for the first season of SpongeBob. And you're remembering finally like, oh yeah, the episode in 1999 <laughs> where uh, like Squidward goes to the future and the past and all that, you know. So I just freaking love it. The song is is catchy and fun. Um, Patchy's stoked. Um, the T Rex outside his house, <laughs> the like one last surprise for him is so stupid and so funny. Um, and it's just like, of course, we have to end on one more silly pratfall <laughs> with the use of some pretty bad green screen. But I love it, and I hate the sound of the T Rex eating him, so I'm not going to play that for you. And then we get an awesome. Um, uh, BC sounding credit song, which I'm sure you're probably hearing over the episode right now. But so uh, just to wrap up, I really love this episode. It's like a, just a fun, sweet. I don't I, I, I don't want to say love letter to SpongeBob because it's not. But it's just like SpongeBob, but jazz. I don't know. That's an overused, tired <laughs> analogy. But it's just like. I don't, it's freestyle. It's like we're taking the characters, we're doing something totally different, but fun and unique. And it's not a cash grab. It's not like, you know, uh, even though I, I said like um, when we covered the episode Mermaid Man of Barnacle Boy 5 that me and Matt were both like, man, I wish we could see more of these characters. I'm glad that we didn't because it wasn't intended for like, you know what the kids will love? A team up, which honestly... 
Unfortunately, the second SpongeBob movie is that a little bit. But this episode, also made by Paul Tibbet, is so has so much creative integrity, I think. At least that's how I perceive it. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm being too harsh on the other episodes. But this episode specifically, no one is like, you know what the kids love? You know, uh, cavemen. Maybe they're like, Fruity Pebbles is popular. Let's cash in on the the, the cavemen zeitgeist of, of Fred Flintstone <clears throat> and the Geico commercials. But I think that they just had a wild, crazy idea you know, and and perhaps maybe I can grant you they're going to pad it out with patchy segments. It'll help them stretch out season three or whatever. But it really is a fun, clever idea um, that just sings. So I love it. It's, um, we'll say four out of five, but a really strong and passionate <laughs> four out of five for me. So this has been Absorbing Yo. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Remember, you can always write in with your questions and thoughts on uh, the show, the podcast, or SpongeBob SquarePants, right in. Let me know. What did you think of SpongeBob BC? How would you rank the SpongeBob Patchy specials? Which one's your favorite? Um, and please tune in next week for the episode The Great Snail Race and Midlife Crustacean. See you then. Ganaga Patar, Ganaga Spongegar, Ganaga Squag, Ganaga Spongegar, Ganaga Squag, Ganaga Patar.